I'd like to welcome you to Rad Real Estate. Each episode, you'll join me while I do a deep dive into various topics related to selling and buying real estate. I'll talk about the state of the market, how to negotiate a contract, getting a home ready to sell, what to look for when buying, how to buy with a builder and what to expect, what's in the economic news, market trends, and how it all relates to real estate. I'm your host, Richard Dombrowski, and this is Rad Real Estate. Well, hello there, and thank you once again for tuning in to Rad Real Estate. It is so awesome to have you here and tuning in for all kinds of information about real estate. And not just here in Florida, but I try to give you information that applies to lots of other places in the country because they're general concepts and ideas. My goal is simply to educate, and I hope you're getting some great knowledge out of these visits with the podcast. Today, we're going to talk a bit about some financial parts of a transaction, and those financial parts are the pre-approval, pre-qualification, and proof of funds. And I'm going to define those things for you and really give you some practical applications, whether you're a seller a buyer, or you're a real estate agent or broker, it's important to understand these concepts because you want to make sure that you are staying true to the transaction and that it's a legitimate transaction based on facts and and so forth, and that you'll be able to bring that transaction across the finish line. Again, whether you're a seller, buyer, agent, broker, you want to The idea is to get the transaction across the finish line, to get somebody into a home, to get somebody out of a home. So here we go. We're going to talk a bit about, first, we're going to talk about the pre-qualification. Now, a pre-qualification is simply a letter, and it's a letter from a lender that talks about the buyer's ability to purchase a home. Now, that letter is only based on a general conversation with the lender. And the lender is going to ask questions of the buyer like, how much do you make? How much do you spend? What are your bills? What are your required payments on your vehicle or whatever? And then they use that information to make a educated guess on a buyer's ability to purchase a home at a particular price. And so because it's not based on a credit report, it's not based on actual employment verification, it's not based on an income history, tax returns, anything like that, it's really just an opinion. And that's okay because it may give the buyer a certain feeling of confidence when they're going out there to look for a home. But from a transactional standpoint, it really doesn't carry a lot of weight. And it shouldn't because it's based on a conversation. And as we found in back in 2000 and, oh gosh, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, when people were basically stating their own income, stating their own employment, and there was no verification required, a lot of people were not giving correct information. That's what's come out since then, right? So the next item would be a pre-approval letter. 
And the pre-approval letter is much, much more concrete. And the beauty of that is that it, it can be specific to a piece of property, but it's not always specific to a piece of property. It can be. That helps. It helps give some confidence and comfort to a seller and to a listing agent because the, the it means that the lender has based their pre, pre-approval on that specific home. Lots of other things to figure out before a closing could happen. But in any event, here's what happens to get a pre-approval letter. You have to submit an application to the lender. They're going to pull a credit report and see what your credit rating is. Because if you are if you have somebody that has a, a decent income, but their credit score is uh, 375, it's not likely that the bank is going to take a risk and give a loan to that particular buyer. So it's based on, like I said, a submitted application, which they're giving all of their, where they've lived, that kind of history. They're giving their, their income history, their employment uh, history and their current employment status. uh, And a credit report is pulled. Now that pre-approval can be conditional and that's okay too. Um, That might be, conditioned upon the bank receiving the W-2 forms or receiving the tax returns themselves or getting an official employment verification. Sometimes banks are using companies to get that employment verification. Sometimes they're just calling the employer themselves and asking for a form to be filled out. But that's what the employment verification does. So so an, a pre-approval can be conditioned upon those things. And what we like in that regard is we like the ability to have a pre-approval in our hands even though the buyer has to do some other homework and get documents to the lender because what that is meant to do is to give us the comfort we need to accept an offer or submit one. Okay? Now, the third part of this, and probably the, the bigger component, in my opinion, is a proof of funds. Let's talk about that a little bit. So in a cash transaction, the buyer is obviously not financing. They're going to pay cash for the home. Well, as a listing agent or as a seller, what you want to do is make sure that that buyer, in fact, can pay cash for the home. Now, they're going to submit a deposit, which is different from a down payment. I'll explain that in a minute. But they may put down a deposit along with the contract offer. And let's say it's a $500,000 home and they're putting down $50,000. Well, they still have to come up with $450,000 plus closing costs, which we've discussed in previous episodes, how that's all calculated. But they have to come up with $450,000 plus closing costs in cash, which means they have to have that money liquid in order to be able to close. And cash closings tend to, it's not a rule, it's not always, but they tend to close more quickly than a finance transaction because it typically takes anywhere from 21 to 45 days to get a lender to 
bring a buyer across the finish line to, to get a clear to close and close on the transaction. So if you have a buyer that's purchasing, they need to provide that proof of funds. And for a cash transaction, it's almost common sense that you would ask for a proof of funds. It's vitally important to the transaction. Now let's jump back and talk a little bit about a deposit versus a down payment because we're going to talk about a finance purchase now. A deposit is the money that a buyer puts down to show their earnest, sometimes called an earnest money deposit, to show that they are earnest in their effort to purchase the home. So the example that I gave, $500,000 house, maybe it's a $50,000 deposit, maybe it's a $10,000 deposit, but it is an amount of money that the buyer puts forward to show, hey, I've got some money and I'm really serious about purchasing this home and I'm going to do some due diligence in my inspection period in order to be able to do so. So there. So a down payment, however, is different. The deposit money can be applied toward the down payment, but let's say that someone's purchasing that $500,000 house and they put $10,000 down as a deposit, but they're financing 80% or $400,000. Well, they need a total of $100,000 plus closing costs, right? So if they put $10,000 down, now they need $90,000 plus closing costs. I hope that I explained that well. So if we have a transaction where someone is financing the purchase of the home and they put down their $10,000 deposit, obviously we know they have $10,000. But if they're needing to come to the table at closing with at least $90,000 more, we need to make sure that they have that too. Okay? Because... Too often in the business, what people do is they say, oh, well, if you're financing and I have a pre-approval letter, then I don't need proof of funds that show that you have the money to close. I'll be explaining why that is extremely important in a little bit. So let me go go back to this. So $500,000 purchase, $10,000 deposit, $90,000 plus closing costs that the buyer needs to come to closing. So they have to show that they have that money. Just like a cash purchaser has to show that they have the money to purchase the home and close on the home when that time comes. A buyer who's financing needs to show that they have the balance of the money they need. The only time that that's not really necessary is if someone is doing VA financing and they're financing 100% of the purchase price of the home. So if they put down a $10,000 deposit, they would actually get that money back at closing because they're financing 100%. And closing costs on a VA loan can be rolled into the loan. Okay? So on a standard finance deal... Somebody's got to come up with some money. We want to make sure that they have that money. Okay? So so how do you do that? 
what forms of documentation can the buyer use to provide to you to make you comfortable with the fact that they have the money? Well, here are the things that you can look for. If it's a bank statement, that's easy. If they provide a screenshot of a bank statement that shows that they have all of the funds to close, no problem. Everything is great. If they show that they have to sell things, like let's say that they have to sell their property, their property is their current home is already under contract or their current business is already under contract and it's going to close in advance of the closing that on their purchase, that adds a different wrinkle. That means that the purchase that they're trying to make is contingent upon the closing of either that home or property or business. And that is information that must be disclosed to a seller. It has to because they need all of the information to make a legitimate choice as to whether they're going to accept the offer, counter offer the offer, or decline it. Let me give you some practical examples. If someone had a business to sell, I can tell you I've been in the real estate game for a long time, but I'm not real versed on the sale of a business. I don't know how to evaluate a business. I've not done it. I have colleagues that I could ask about that, but I wouldn't be comfortable making an evaluation on someone's business. And so even if they were under contract on a business, I would be nervous if I was representing my seller because they probably wouldn't know either. And they're putting their faith in me to get their home sold. So I would not be comfortable if someone had to close on their business in order to purchase a home. It's too risky. Now let's say that a buyer has their current home under contract and it's scheduled to close prior to the closing on the home they want to purchase. That's a little bit of a different story, although there's still a great deal of risk there. It gives a realtor the ability to go into the system, if it's local, and check the status of that home. If the buyer is or their buyer's agent is saying that it's under contract, then you can check to see that the status is pending in the MLS. At least you can verify that piece of information. The other part of it is that there's a document that has to be submitted that's called sale of buyer's property. And what it requires in that form is that the address is provided, the purchase price is provided, and the contract is provided to the listing agent for the property that the buyer wants to purchase. Why is it important? So that as a listing agent, if I'm the listing agent, then I can do my research. I could look at that contract. I can find out when the expiration of the inspection contingency is. That gives me an opportunity to know, are they past that part of the process or have they just entered into a contract? 
the sooner you are in that process, the more contingencies that exist, the riskier it is to a seller to accept a contract that's based on those, those contingencies. But here's the important part. If the seller knows that information, then they can make an informed decision. Look, if, if a seller is selling a property and the only offer that they get is from someone who has a property to sell, well, it's worth considering, right? Because the seller wants to sell their property, the buyer wants to buy it, but the buyer is closing on their property. So it's just, it's, it's still a legitimate offer, but at least the seller would have all of the information and be able to make that informed decision. It's very important. Now, let's look further into this. Let's say that the buyer needs to sell other assets. What if they needed to sell their parents' home or they needed to wait for an inheritance or that was supposed to be, in quotes, coming within 30 days or they need to sell some of their investments or they need to sell some of their retirement funds. Those are a bit more complicated things and and harder to research. Sometimes getting your money back out of your retirement fund takes some time and it's a hassle and it's intended to be that way by the investment companies, in my opinion, because they want to hold on to your money. They're, they've got it invested in different vehicles and taking it out and putting it back in is problematic. Plus there are tax ramifications that are involved there too. So it's all much more convoluted. It's much more risky to a seller to accept a contract that has those types of contingencies. Plus it's hard for the seller or their agent to research that and to know how long does it take to get uh, your money out of a a Roth IRA? I don't know. You got to talk to your investment counselor. And your, is your investment counselor researching it or giving you a, well, it usually takes about this long. And then all of a sudden in the transaction, you're supposed to close in 30 days and you can't because the buyer can't get their money out in time. And now the seller is on the hook for the time to either put their home back on the market cancel the current contract or extend the, the closing date and wait it out and hope that the buyer can get their funds out. That's, that's what they're up against. And those are difficult things to consider. Now, some agents are going to submit an offer and they'll just submit a pre-approval or sometimes they'll just submit a pre-qualification letter. And they might not know any better. I can tell you that when I list a home, I put in the realtor remarks that you must submit a pre-approval and a proof of funds. And there are no exceptions to that rule. So if someone submits an offer with me for a client of mine, and my clients know about this if they're selling a home because I explain this to them, but if somebody submits an offer without that information, then we don't have a true, full, submitted offer. And I kick it back to the buyer's agent and I say, hey, I told you in the listing that you need to have the proof of funds along with the pre-approval. 
So I had a transaction in which that happened recently. And I requested that from the the buyer's agent. I said, hey, by the way, you didn't submit the proof of funds. And the response was, well, that's a weird request. And I explained it to her. And she's a relatively new agent. I didn't know that at the time, but I, I came to find out. She was a relatively new agent. And so I educated her. And I said, here's why that's important. And how she responded at that time was, well, the balance is coming from the closing of the sale of their home. And I responded by saying, well, you didn't let me know that this transaction was contingent upon that closing. She said, I didn't know I had to. Well, again, I, how I explained it to her is if you were representing a seller, wouldn't that be important information that you get for your seller so they can make an educated decision? And she agreed. And I sent the form to her and I sent it with a very nice email explaining all of that information to her. And she appeared to be appreciative of that. And so we had a a crisis averted, in my opinion, because it would have been very difficult for me to tell my sellers, hey, look, I've got this great contract for you. It's a great price. It's a 30-day closing date. It's a short inspection period. And we go through this process and they accept it and they execute the contract only to then find out that the buyer's contract fell through on their current home. And then that means that this contract would fall through because the buyers would not be able to give financing. So my sellers would have looked at me like, "What? how did you lead us down this path? How could you? Why didn't you ask these questions? Well, I do. <laughs> I do. And that's why we avoid this kind of situation. We ended up accepting another offer on the home that wasn't contingent upon those things, thankfully. And we're moving toward closing now. This should close in a couple of weeks. So that's that's the real good news about being diligent in your efforts to make sure that all of the information coming from a buyer is legitimate or all the information that you're presenting from a buyer is legitimate. Now look, if it was the only offer that we received from a buyer, then we would have had to consider it a different way, but it wasn't. And I, I, at the very least, I would have required that this agent submit the sale of buyer's property disclosure along with the contract. And by the way, that contract has redactions in it. We're not trying to obtain information about the specific buyer, but we want to know that they're under contract and what the terms of the contract are and what the address is so that we can do our research. So there you have it. Now, some agents might be doing this intentionally on behalf of their buyers. Like they might intentionally hold that information back and not give it to a listing agent. Clearly, that is a violation of our rules of ethics. You're supposed to deal honestly and fairly and provide all pertinent information as it relates to a contract. But not everybody does that. There are a lot of people out there that are just deceitful. So that's something to watch for. Uh, But 
if you're asking for a proof of funds along with a pre-approval when you are accepting contracts or when you're submitting them, then you're going to help yourself steer clear of issues down the road. So I hope that explains it. I hope that that helps you avoid pitfalls in the future. And I'm really appreciative of you tuning in to Rad Real Estate. And hey, we will see you next time. This has been a Rad Real Estate Podcast in cooperation with Bay Realty of Florida, LLC, a Florida-based real estate company. Episodes are written, directed, and edited by Richard Dombrowski. The views expressed on this podcast are the opinions of the host and guests of the show and should not be used to make financial decisions or in buying or selling real estate. To find out more information, contact the host directly at bayrealtyofflorida at gmail.com. The theme song is Action by Cube Sounds and can be found on Pixbay.